Welcome to the Economic Development Matters podcast, brought to you by Edmonton Global, hosted by me, Brianna Morris, and my colleague, Sherry Baslama. Sherry and I work together at Edmonton Global, an economic development agency that represents 14 municipalities that make up the Edmonton metropolitan region. Home to 1.4 million people and generating $105 billion in GDP, our region is Canada's fifth largest economy, and we're just getting started. At Edmonton Global, our purpose is to transform and grow the economy of the Edmonton region. And we do that by attracting foreign direct investment and quality jobs. We also support our local businesses to expand internationally. On this podcast, we talk about economic development matters and why it matters. We discuss how we can best compete in the global marketplace and build a sustainable and prosperous economy to enhance the quality of life for the people in our communities. Today we're talking to the Executive Vice President of Trade and Investment at Edmonton Global, Mustafa Sahin. Mustafa, thanks for joining us. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. So I'm going to start with a, with a real easy one for you. Uh, where the heck are you? Because you're not in Edmonton, are you? No, I, I, I decided to jet away from the still not finished winter of Alberta to move to a slightly warmer climb uh, here in Dubai in the United Arab Emirates. Uh, timing was a little bit fortunate too because we conveniently have to move houses at home before the end of the month. So I thought, well, maybe I can combine business and getting out of the house move at the same time. Are you trying to get out of moving and packing, Mustafa? (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Mama did not raise any fools. (laughs) That's awesome. I have been to Dubai very briefly once on a layover, but we made sure we rented a car and just drove around for a few hours in the middle of the night. It was was pretty fun. So what are you doing in, in Dubai? So I'm here because there's a few events going on. One was to bring a couple of our senior business development managers into the sector and expose them to the region. Our agronomist, uh, Trevor Click, um, and our health and life sciences expert, Robert Sikora, uh, because both of those are sectors where we have a high degree of for in terms of potential investment and trade with the UAE. Um, food security is a huge issue in this part of the world, and they actually have a minister of food security. Um, and, you know, one of the things that on the health and life sciences sector that we're working hard on in, in our region is finding a cure for type 1, type 2 diabetes. And this part of the world, that's a major health concern. Um, so there's there's quite a bit of alignment. But in order to be successful, you need to build a personal relationship to support that. And so giving our team direct exposure, meet some of the people here, better understand the market and the opportunities is the main reason. And then there are a couple of events going on at this time. So uh, World Expo 2020 Dubai is wrapping up this month, so a six-month event, and they're celebrating Canada Day on Saturday, March 19th here, so we're here, there's a series of programs supporting that, and then at the end of the month, we were very fortunate to be invited by the UAE Minister of Economy to uh, participate in the World Government Summit and their inaugural Investopia event, so for all those reasons, it was a, it was a good time to, to be over here and, and support our Canadian programming but to reinforce our presence here, you know, as Edmonton Global. That's awesome. So why don't we also, I guess we, uh, the listeners will, we, Sherry, and I know, Sherry and I know you quite well, um, but let's, for our listeners, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and, and your background? So I joined Edmonton Global just under two years ago, um, and that followed three years where I was working as the president of something called the Canada UAE Business Council, Bilateral Business Council, co-founded by the two foreign ministers back in 2015. Uh, so under the previous government, uh, John Baird was actually foreign minister at the time. But basically, I'm a Canadian, born and raised in Ontario in a small town called Niagara-on-the-Lake. Uh, nice. Did all my university schooling there. 
and then moved to the States uh, early in my career. And I spent 12 years in the U.S. in various sales and business development roles. I lived in Chicago, Detroit, Minneapolis, Denver, and New York. And then in 2003, I packed up and moved to Dubai to have a little bit of an adventure. And I spent 13 years based in Dubai doing a variety of business development, business strategy type work in the Middle East, Africa, North Africa regions. And then uh, I married an Albertan and she said, I think we should move back to Canada. (laughs) So I said, okay, you're the boss. So we moved to Toronto and that's when I took the stint with the CUBC. And then after a few years, she said, I think we should move to Alberta. And lo and behold, our CEO, Malcolm Bruce called me like two months later and said, hey, I'm looking for somebody. So that's how I ended up here. That's great. And I'm going to, I your time in the UAE, I think there's a story where you got a pretty interesting nickname, right, Mustafa? Uh, I've heard yeah. that some people call you Mr. Blackberry. Is that true? Yeah. So I, it was, it, you know, I was, it was a, my entrepreneurial spirit after a year on the grant who identified that I thought there was a missing opportunity for Blackberry in the market. They loved smartphones and they loved brands and Blackberry was not here. So uh, I helped to found the company that actually introduced Blackberry to the region. And it was such high demand that, you know, people kept saying, oh, Mr. Blackberry, you need a Blackberry? Call Mustafa. He's Mr. Blackberry. He'll get you a Blackberry. He'll fix it. And it literally became like, you know, almost like being like a drug dealer because it was so addictive early <laughs> on. And like we had people from Iran reaching out to us saying, we want to buy a bunch of Blackberries. I said, yeah, but you realize that in Iran, because we're not set up, it won't function as a BlackBerry. It'll just be a phone. They said, we don't care. We just want to carry a BlackBerry. Oh, my God. So it was kind of, yeah, it was pretty humorous times. You had to, you had to leave the country to escape that that nickname and that that street cred. I, I, had to take, I had to take on a whole new persona, yes. I want to jump back. You talked about Expo 2020. Uh, that, that event was postponed, wasn't it, because of the pandemic? And they're still referring it to 2020. Is that right? Yeah, similar to the similar to the Japan Summer Olympics, two major global events that both had to get postponed. Um, so yeah, Dubai was it was meant to start in October 2020. No, yes, October 2020 instead it started October 2021. So they just pushed it back by one full calendar year, but they still refer to it as Expo Dubai 2020 because the major world expos typically happen every five years. So the previous one would have been Milan in 2015 and Beijing before that in 2010. And what's it like there during Expo? Is it pretty busy? It's it's pretty impressive. I I don't know that any of us maybe who are in this call right now were alive for Expo 67 in Montreal, but that was a really transformational event that I still hear about, right? And, and what an impact it made on our country. And that was to celebrate our 100th anniversary as a country. Well, in this case, Expo here is overlapping with the UA's 50th Golden Jubilee as a country. So there's some significance there. Uh, there are 192 countries represented here with pavilions. So it's the largest expo ever in the world. They're building wow. a lot of permanent infrastructure. I, I don't know what the actual total numbers are going to be at the end of the day because, you know, COVID impacted numbers a lot. But they were expecting about 27 million visitors to expo wow. during the six-month period. Yeah. yeah. That's impressive. Wow. So walk us through the investment attraction process. I think we're already getting little snippets of it by hearing about what you're doing um, with our business development managers in the UAE. But kind of, yeah, give us like a, a 101 on how you go about attracting investment. You know, I think there was the, the traditional way that we used to do investment attraction, especially in Canada, which was we opened our shoulder in the morning and we waited for people to knock on our door. And then we helped them navigate what was available in our ecosystem for them to invest in. It's evolved, and, and and now we're having to compete more with jurisdictions from all over the world. And so I think 
the approach that we're taking at Edmonton Global is let's look in the mirror and be honest about the sectors that we really are competitive in globally, that we have competitive advantage in, develop a narrative, and let's go hunting. Let's find the jurisdictions in the world that are most aligned with that interest, and let's go establish a presence. And ultimately, you have to have a value proposition that resonates with the buyer or the investor. And typically, what I find is that's most effective when you talk about the potential for a bilateral relationship. Any relationship that's going to succeed in the long run must be a true win-win. It can't be predatory of let's close a transaction and I'm not worried about what's going to happen to you in three years or five years. It also doesn't work if you don't show a certain amount of respect for the investor. So it was something that I became acutely sensitive to when I was in the UAE was they started to become very sensitive of being treated almost like an ATM machine where everybody just kept going to them for investment attraction. They said, why don't you invest in our jurisdiction as well? We have things to offer. So that ability to show respect, to do your homework, and to be, I think, targeted in what you're proposing is key going forward. Yeah, I think it's about understanding their needs too. And you you talked about that when you talk about food security or the issues around diabetes. There's alignment between what's happening in the Edmonton region and what the UAE needs um, to find solutions for some of their challenges. Are there other areas in the world that you see some of those alignments happening? Absolutely. Um, you know, when we look at the pivot towards lower carbon energy, uh, you know, carbon intensity, reducing carbon intensity. Uh, you know, we've got a high degree of alignment with Asia, uh, especially, right. you know, when we look at markets like Japan, South Korea, and China. Um, the key is how do we get our lower carbon energy, like the hydrogen we're going to be producing, to those markets? You know, we weren't really successful with getting our LNG out to some of the global markets. We want to be better when it comes to things like hydrogen. Uh, when we look at uh, health and life sciences, I think there's a high degree of alignment with, with Europe. Um, you know, there's a lot of things that Europe's looking at from a pharmaceutical manufacturing perspective that aligns well with our region. Right. And I think we have a lot of unrealized potential, especially when it comes to the machine learning side of artificial intelligence. We have a lot of expertise, but I think a lot of the companies in our region just need help in understanding how to go to international markets because we're not always experienced in that area. Right. Yeah, I think that's true. So I, I like what you're saying about um relationships matter and, and don't treat um, investors as ATM machines. So I guess my question is, is deals, is it about the numbers? Is it about the math or are there cases where investors will actually choose a jurisdiction um, that might be slightly less cost competitive because of um, like relationships or the approach? Can you, can you speak to that? It's a good question. Sure. Yeah. Ultimately people do business with people. They don't do business with companies. And, and I, I'll, I apply the analogy all the time, even down to the individual level. You can walk into a retail shop with full intention to buy. But if the salesperson who confronts you rubs you the wrong way, you're probably going to turn around and walk out. Mm-hmm. And conversely, you can walk into a shop with no intention to buy, end up with this great conversation, and then you end up saying, oh, my God, I want to buy something in here. I want a BlackBerry. <laughs> I want a BlackBerry. So the same thing applies with business. And this is the – and what one thing I'll also add is – the role of government is more important when it comes to international jurisdictions on investment attraction. So while a lot of times in our own jurisdiction, we don't see government always adding much value to business. If you're in private sector business, like what does government add? But when you're talking about foreign countries, if there's some level of endorsement by the Canadian government or the Alberta government, that adds a level of value and credibility. It's almost part of the due diligence and the vetting that you're, that you're legit. Um, but I can talk about, you know, there was one very specific example in 2017 
where um, investor here out of the UA Mobadla Sovereign Fund will, owns Nova Chemicals as a portfolio company, Canadian company, and they were looking to invest $2.2 billion into a new facility, Greenfield facility in Canada. And there was uncertainty because of the ongoing NAFTA renegotiations. And Minister Champagne, at that time, Minister of International Trade, flew to the UAE, met with the foreign minister, the group CEO, and the chairman, and gave them assurances that encouraged them to go ahead and greenlight that project, which was the second largest investment into Ontario's manufacturing sector in the last 100 years. So relationships matter. I thought it was interesting you're saying um, with with regards to government's role. So in Alberta, I think um, for quite a few years, we were we didn't almost maybe have to worry about um, FDI attraction because of our strong energy sector. Um, but now it seems we are paying more attention. We saw the government of Alberta uh, established Invest Alberta. Um, I guess any yeah comments from you on, on, on maybe more we can do in Alberta and Canada um, on the part of governments to help that process? Yeah, I'm hearing more of the talk, but I still haven't seen enough of the walk in terms of our presence in some of these international markets. And, you know, the jury's still out because it's early days. You know, Invest Alberta is still in its infancy. It's still a relatively new organization. I think they're still trying to figure out whose lane is whose for the international offices and who reports to the ministry and who reports to them. Uh, but the, the signals, the initial signals are strong that they want to have more of a physical presence in key markets to build those relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I, but I think the key is we really have to uh, walk the walk and, and see it through. Uh, we only have to look next door to our neighbors in Saskatchewan, who in January announced and opened their office in Dubai uh, to support their Middle East uh, aspirations. And are already, I'm hearing wonderful things about the traction they're gaining. So I'm, I'm optimistic that Invest Alberta is, gonna, is on that same path, but we need to support them by reinforcing why it's important. Yeah, you're talking a lot about relationships and, you know, that time will tell. Um, Can you talk about how, because relationships take time to establish, obviously, like how long does a typical deal take and how long does it take to build those relationships? You know, typically if, you know, if these are large and they're strategic or they're greenfield investments, typically they'll take years, right? And it could be two or three years. Uh, It could be 10 years. The recent big announcement by Dow, by Dow Chemicals, you know, in our region for their big decarbonization project. That was, from my understanding, about 10 years in the making. Wow, yeah. Um, and it's influenced by politics, by who's in power, by policy changes, by incentive programs, by what may be happening in a competitive jurisdiction that they're also considering. So, for example, you know, I think Canada has become increasingly more attractive in the last couple of years because of the volatility in emerging markets, what I call the political stability, almost boringness and economic stability of the Canadian market suddenly seems a lot more attractive because the returns might, they might not be as high. They're more predictable. And, you know, rise of populism, different governments, people want predictability and stability. And I think they have a lot of that to offer. Absolutely. And you mentioned a very exciting project, um, the Dow project, which um, we're very excited about and kudos to everybody that was um, involved in that. I understand. I think it was the Industrial Heartland and, and Fort Saskatchewan um, and, and, and a lot of people um, were working on that one. Can you maybe give us an example of a deal that fell apart or <laughs> that didn't actually work out the way it, we wish it had? Um, well, I can't think of any specific examples yet in our jurisdiction because it's only, you know, it's been about a year and a half since I joined. Um, but, you know, there are there are instances where, you know, an opportunity may go to another jurisdiction. Actually, wait, no, I can't think of one. 
There was a company that was Alberta based and looking to set up a facility potentially in our region and they ended up going to the U S and in that case, uh, a lot of it came down to incentives. And there are a lot of jurisdictions which are far more aggressive in terms of the financial incentives they'll offer that we just can't compete with mm-hmm. uh, in Canada. Uh, sometimes, it, you know, it could also depend on the input costs. So when you're talking about things, something which is very power intensive, uh, if they've got deregulated power and they decide they really want to incentivize that company by giving them free land or, you know, really cheap power that we just can't compete with, we have to accept that outcome, right? We roll up our sleeves and what I like to always make sure is, have we done all of our due diligence? Do we understand all of the variables and criteria that are gonna go into a decision? And have we presented those variables to the power to be that could potentially move the needle? And if they don't, at least we did our job of presenting all the information and we live with the outcome. Because if we just try and compete on financial incentives, we'll never be competitive and we're not selling our true value prop in a lot of cases. Yeah. So on a recent episode, we talked to Stephen Lund, the CEO of Toronto Global, and he talked about investment and traction as being kind of a marriage of art and science. Would you agree with that description? And I'm curious about how culture plays into this and how you might approach different deals in different ways based on the culture that you're interacting with. 100%. It is definitely a, a marriage of art and science. Uh, and in some cases, I would say, you know, the percentages may vary, which sometimes it's a little more art, sometimes it's a little more science. Um, but you have to have your facts straight. You have to have a deep understanding of the fundamentals, the financials. Ultimately, any investment has to have the financials need to make sense. Um, unless you're an oligarch who wants to buy an English football team and then it's just a passion project. Right? <laughs> um, but the, the, the art part has to be there in terms of how are you presenting how are you making sure that the key people show up? So it could be a meeting with a premier. It could be a meeting with a federal minister. How are they showing up at the event to pay respect, to acknowledge that this is a large potential investment, to show appreciation, to, um, I'll, I'll give you another example on the arts, uh, another big investor into Canada out of the UAE, Dubai Ports World, they acquired the terminal in Prince Rupert in 2015. And they went out of their way to make sure that they had a positive engagement with the local First Nations because mm-hmm. they'd heard that the previous owner hadn't didn't have a very good relationship. So the first year after the acquisition, the chairman of DP World, multinational, massive logistics you know, company, flew to Prince Rupert, brought his chef, cooked a traditional Emirati meal and served himself the local indigenous uh, people who were there. And so that's art. Right. That's about being a good part of your community. That's being a good part of the value proposition of where you plan to do business, where you plan to put down your stake. So I think if it's going to be sustainable in the long run, you need to address all of these considerations. And it's something which I think we at Edmonton Global try to highlight for prospective investors is be their Sherpa, be their guide, highlight to them what's really important in getting a deal across the line. Right. Who needs to be addressed? Who may need to be considered? So Mustafa, you're pretty passionate about even indigenous economic development. Can you talk a little bit about where you see potential there? Absolutely, and and I have to give full credit my my real introduction exposure to you know the indigenous narrative in Canada after being away for so long was through my wife, who's done a lot of work in that space, and so she introduced me to significant members of the First Nation community in Alberta when I first came back, and um, I I just think for two reasons. One, first and foremost, it's the right thing to do. It is. Plain and simple. Yeah. Number two, if we're going to have sustainable economic development and resource development, 
and growth of an economy in our country, it needs to be inclusive and not exclusive. That means respecting the territorial rights, the cultural rights, and the aspirational goals of all Canadians, including Indigenous First Nations Canadians. And let's be honest, when we're looking at climate change and the thawing of the permafrost and the emergence of the resources that are going to be available in northern parts of our province and country, a lot of those are going to be on territories which belong to First Nations. So rather than do it as a requirement, why not be ahead of the curve? Let's engage proactively. Let's talk about how we can engage collaboratively and be inclusive. I think it's for a great example that the vice chair of the Edmonton Region Hydrogen Hub is a First Nations chief, you know, from our region. Right. Um, and so let's do it because it's the right thing to do and do it proactively rather than retroactively. Absolutely. Um, thanks, Mustafa. Anything else that you would like to share with our listeners? Well, there's lots I would probably love to share, but I would probably <laughs> ramble on for hours. There's always um, another no, episode, Mustafa. Always another episode. <laughs> I think maybe we'll do another episode. We should do another episode after the Canadian Hydrogen Convention. That's a good idea. I think that's going to be a huge event. I think it's really important for Edmonton Global. Yeah. I think it's going to help to put Canada on the map because we think we're the center of the world energy story, but we're kind of not as much as we think. This is a chance to really bring the world back to our province, back to our city to see the innovative things we're doing because our ESG narrative is not as well known as it should be. Our ESG narrative in our province when it comes to is a lot better than some people think. Yeah. And I'm glad we're going to have a chance to talk about that story and to show the really important role we're going to play as part of the globe's ambitions to reduce carbon intensity uh, gradually because there is no magic bullet. You can't do it overnight. Green energy, green hydrogen is not going to show up overnight and be able to displace all of the world's energy requirements. So we have to be really intelligent on how we approach that. So maybe we can do it after that conference. Yeah, Mustafa, for our listeners, that convention, conference, convention? Yeah, can convention. You, I'm sorry. April 26 and 27 or 20? What are the dates? 26 to the 28th. 26 to the 28th, yeah. And almost can you talk? Sold out. Almost sold out. <laughs> can you talk about international delegations that are coming? Latest numbers I've heard is that we're going to have international delegation from 19 countries coming to the Edmonton region for that event. Incredible. Uh, total attendees are projected to be 5,000 attendees. Um, this will be the largest international business delegation, I think, to come to our city since our region, since uh, the FIFA Women's World Cup in 2015. And, Super you know, exciting. That was a slightly different type of event. So, yeah, we're right very on. excited. Very exciting. Uh, Mustafa, how can listeners get a hold of you? Um, I guess they could email me at uh, Edmonton Global, M Sahin, S A H I N, at edmontonglobal.ca. And uh, I would probably be the best. Or they could reach out to you and Sherry, and you would definitely track me down. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds good. We might be able to do that. <laughs> Thank you so much for the time, Mustafa, and safe travels. Yeah, take Thank care. Thank you very much. Have a great rest of your day. It's still early. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You have Earlier a good night. For us. Bye. <laughs> Well, that was fun. I think it's so cool that we could have Mustafa on as a guest while he's in the UAE, actually on the ground, meeting with people, trying to, you know, drum up investment for our region. Yeah, technology is a, is a pretty, pretty cool um, 
And I think it, it's helped during the pandemic that we have such amazing technology nowadays Absolutely. that you can just, you know, jump on a video call. But it is it is exciting now that we are starting to travel and get out there again. Um, and I like what Mustafa said about, like, let's go hunting. Um, you know, let's go actively, proactively go out and seek investors and champion the Edmonton region. Uh, and he mentioned he's there with our business development uh, managers. And, and I like that they're experts in their fields, like their right. background um, is in food and agriculture or the lifestyle. So they really know what they're talking about and they know they speak the languages of those companies um, that are in that space. And so I think um, that I, I'm excited about about our future yeah. and, and the successes that they're they're going to have. Yeah, they absolutely do. And I've seen it like I've seen Trevor, our agriculture manager, talking to a potential investor and you can just see that they feel understood like Mustafa talked about, you know, understanding others needs and building those bilateral relationships is so important. Yeah, absolutely. Here, here. That's a wrap for today. Thank you for tuning in to the Economic Development Matters podcast brought to you by Edmonton Global. For more information about Edmonton Global or to get in touch, visit our website at edmontonglobal.ca. Follow us on social media, on Twitter, LinkedIn, or Facebook. And don't forget to follow us on your favorite podcast platform so you'll be among the first to know when a new episode drops. We hope you learned something new today about Economic Development Matters and why it matters. Until next time, we're your hosts, Sherry and Brianna signing off.